The run-up is supported by Casper. The Casper mattress has just the right sink, just the right bounce, and ships in a compact box for free in the U.S. and Canada. Order online and try it risk-free for 100 days. Pricing is $500 for a twin-size mattress and $950 for a king-size mattress. Listeners of The Run-Up can get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com runup and using promo code RUNUP at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. I think it's fair to say this is not your typical election. I am not a natural politician. Everybody loves me. Have you always told the truth? I've always tried to. Hillary Clinton is a bigot. These are racist ideas, race-baiting ideas, anti-Muslim, anti-immigrant, anti-women. I know more about ISIS than the generals do. No, Donald, you don't. Have you even read the United States Constitution? Fathers will be able to say to their daughters, you too can grow up to be president. We need a political revolution. Nobody knows the system better than me. Really? Which is why I alone can fix it. USA! 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 From the New York Times, this is The Run-Up. I'm Michael Barbaro. In Hillary Clinton's America, the system stays rigged against Americans. Syrian refugees flood in. Illegal immigrants convicted of committing crimes get to stay. Collecting Social Security benefits, skipping the line. Our border open, it's more of the same, but worse. How does that make you feel? If it's doing its job as political advertising, it makes you feel something. Hopeful, fearful, excited, disgusted. Whatever it is, get ready to start feeling feelings because we are entering the ad season of election season. Today, we'll talk to a veteran ad maker who's responsible for some of the most memorable campaign commercials of the past decade about the craft and how it's changed over the years. With me now is our chief culture critic at the New York Times, the one and only Wesley Morris. Wesley, I want to jump right in. Yeah. So I want to start by watching with you and playing for our listeners what I think are the most effective ads so far from both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Now, granted, Donald Trump has not given us very much to work with. No, I, I was going to I was going to mention that to you. It's really not. A the lot. well is dry. So let's start with Hillary. I love the old days. You know what they used to do to guys like that when they were in a place like this? They'd be carried out on a stretcher, folks. And you can tell them to go themselves. It's kind of a genius ad. Even if you're not paying attention to the actual semiotics, it sets up this environment in which you've got kids of different races, different socioeconomic backgrounds from different parts of the country, watching this sort of media-born entity talking to them. He's not even really a person. He's just disembodied from reality. And the kids, I mean, they're fascinated, but they're also, they're kind of wary. And then Hillary comes on. Our children and grandchildren will look back at this time, at the choices we are about to make, the goals we will strive for, the principles we will live by. And we need to make sure that they can be proud of us. I mean, this is a great ad. The, the shot of the kid, the girl on, her, on the edge of her bed, like allegedly watching Hillary. I, I think it's just a it's a depressing ad in a lot of ways, but it's also very effective. I mean, we can talk about where in the in the pantheon this ad goes, but I think it is definitely like a Hall of Fame effective ad. But what do you actually learn about Hillary Clinton from that ad? Well, this is it's a great question. I think you learn that she's not Donald Trump. 
and that she likes children and that children respond to her, I think, is maybe the most important thing. And that she's looking out for your kids. It's not a policy question. It's more of a question of decorum. Like Hillary Clinton has some and Donald Trump does not. It's just devastating. It's, it's up there with the Carrie windsurfing ad. In which direction would John Kerry lead? Kerry voted for the Iraq War, opposed it, supported it, and now opposes it again. He bragged about voting for the 87 billion to support our troops before he voted against it. He voted or, for you know, the, the horrible Willie Horton ad, which is a totally different class of devastating ad. There's an extra level of fear. Well, the, and the right? ra- there was a there's a component of race in there. That that's the that's that the extra level of fear. Pretty that's ugly the, and inevitable. Right, yes, the official name of the ad is "Weekend Passes." Right, they give these weekend passes to these convicts, who in this case wind up killing somebody. Bush and Dukakis on crime. Bush supports the death penalty for first degree murderers. Dukakis not only opposes the death penalty, he allowed first degree murderers to have weekend passes from prison. One was Willie Horton, who murdered a boy in a robbery, stabbing him 19 times. Despite a life sentence, Horton received 10 weekend passes from prison. Horton fled, kidnapped a young couple, stabbing the man and repeatedly raping his girlfriend. Weekend prison passes. Dukakis on crime. There's Willie Horton's mugshot. This is the first time that he'd been ID'd as a black male. Other times when Bush would bring this up, and even when Al Gore brought this up during the campaign... It was really about the program, the furlough program, and the weekend passes, not about this specific guy and what he had done. So I feel like the racialization of this of this program was partly why it's so effective and so infuriating. Willie Horton, by the way, said something quite fascinating in a later interview from jail. He said, by the way, my name isn't Willie. That was the name that the campaign and the media gave me. That right, I don't right. call myself Willie, and right, and it, and that's what's so powerful about a thumb shot image of an African American male who we as a culture began to know as the diminutive Willie, right? Not right. William, not a human being, just this. It's a totally this. different thing if it's William Horton, I would say. You're somebody who spends an enormous amount of your time thinking about the power of images and art. What do you think makes for the most powerful and effective form of this? communication a campaign ad filmmaking i mean there's filmmaking in that hillary clinton ad there's filmmaking in the john Kerry windsurfing ad which we i guess we're going to talk about in a second i think anytime you have images that tell a story and some sort of encapsulation of what the story is you just told like that weekend pass ad is devastating not just because of the way in which it mostly holds on that Willie Horton image, William Horton. It's so that it ends with the line, weekend prison passes, Dukakis on crime. Like, I'm not voting for that guy. But most campaign ads aren't filmmaking, right? I mean, most no, of them... No, they're not. I mean, Donald Trump, they have some effective things to lob at Hillary Clinton, and one of these ads really does that very well. Hillary Clinton's corruption has been exposed again. Her Clinton Foundation slush fund sold access to the State Department. New charges dogging the Democratic nominee. Allegations, But they're totally uninspired. And I feel like there's so many ways for Trump to be able to capitalize on not only his Trumpness, but his anti-Hillary-ness. 
I don't create these ads, but I mean, as a, as a viewer of them and as a person who's watching them trying to figure out what they're doing and how they're making me feel, I don't feel anything watching the Trump ads. I thought the most effective thing in, in the first Trump ad, I think it was the first one, was the assertion that if she got elected, that, you know, hundreds of thousands of Syrians would come into the country and, and that's what she wants to have happen. But there was no story to that, to those ads. So I want to ask you about what these ads tell us about a culture. All pieces of art, when you look back at them, seem like time capsules of some kind. But campaign ads are like a particular kind of time capsule Mm -hmm. because they tell us about our politics. They seem to tell us about the tensions in our society, like in a very timely way. Is that the right way to think about them? I would say so. I watched a Kennedy ad from, I think, 1960. And it's got this really great, it's just a jingle. And it just repeats his name. Kennedy, 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 Kennedy,
So we're going to talk now to Rush Schrieffer. He's a Republican ad maker who has created pretty much the most memorable campaign ads of the last decade. Russ, we're thrilled you could be with Wesley and I. Yo, great being here with you guys today. Thank you very much. So it turns out we are both obsessed with the windsurfing ad. Can you tell us the story of how that ad came about? Sure. Um, you know, during the 2004 uh, campaign, it was uh, late summer, and uh, Sarah Taylor, now Sarah Taylor Fagan, came into the office where we were hanging out uh, excitedly saying that they had just captured some footage of John Kerry windsurfing uh, off the coast of Nantucket. And uh, immediately we all looked at one another and, and we just said, oh, my God, that's an ad. And uh, wait, wait, we, what do you mean captured? Like surreptitiously? It was CNN had run some file footage of him, of John Kerry on his summer vacation or taking a week off, had, had run it as B-roll accompanying their story. And uh, like any good campaign, you know, you're taping the cable news is 24-7 in case something like this happens. And uh, we grabbed the footage and, and had it so that when we wanted to use it for a commercial, it became available. How did you know that that would be so effective? We, we were hitting John Kerry on this idea that he was, he was a flip-flopper, that he wasn't consistent. And we had done an ad a couple of months earlier. This was referring to the $87 million to support our troops, where he famously went on the floor and said, you know, I voted for that before I voted against it. So there was this sense that John Kerry was vacillating and was flip-flopping. And, you know, the image of someone off the coast of Nantucket presidential candidate in board shorts, uh, windsurfing, and literally blowing in the wind, just uh, you know, lent itself uh, to an ad, and, and the ad wrote itself. By the way, how important was that ad, ultimately? Because we, we've talked in this episode about the concept of the mythologized ad afterward that is viewed as so pivotal and so crucial. And sometimes that's you know, true and I, not true. You know, I think we have to kind of go back, take a step back, and I think, first of all, and, and say that in presidential campaigns, and particularly lately, political ads are less important than they were probably 30, 40 years ago. Presidential campaigns are much more driven by earned media. They're much more driven by the story of the day, and how the back and forth and what cable news might be saying about particular candidates on any given day. That said, advertising is the one area in which you can present your ad, you can present your point of view unfiltered to the public. You're paying for it, the 30 seconds, and it's the message that you want to bring across. I don't think that the actual running of the windsurfing ad on air became that determinative in the outcome. But I think what it did is it helped to uh, feed the narrative about who John Kerry was and sort of the image of John Kerry is that someone who, you know, really couldn't make up his mind, wasn't sure which direction he wanted to lead, and was a little bit, you know, the elitism of John Kerry that came across. Sort of this, you know, I'm John Kerry and I'm better than you. Right. I'm curious, you mentioned the image as being important to a candidate's candidacy in a lot of ways. I would say that it's important for a campaign to get out first rate and, and create the image. I'm thinking about how I can't remember a single Obama campaign ad from that campaign, but what I do remember, and I think what most people remember, and I think what was really effective was 
the Shepherd Fairy posters that said hope and change. This sort of iconic image of a person. And I think that the great thing about that windsurfing ad is that it's, it's negatively iconic. It tells the entire John Kerry story in one image. Yeah, I think the, the comparison or the, the, the model for that is also the, the famous, you know, Mike Dukakis and the tank ad. Mm. It sort of summed up, I think, what a lot of people thought about Michael Dukakis mm-hmm. is that he was sort of a small man trying to fill big shoes. When did ads stop being Ike nice? You know, I, I mean, I think this just sort of goes to the history of advertising. And, and you know, you look at very famously when we look at sort of the the beginning of negative ads or sort of using negative imagery in ads, I mean, you have to point to, the, you know, the famous Lyndon Johnson ad that was produced by Tony Schwartz, you know, the Daisy ad, mm-hmm. which, you know, never mentions Barry Goldwater's name, but it alludes to a world that if Barry Goldwater is elected president, that there would be nuclear holocaust. So, I mean, I don't think you can get much more negative than that. In this campaign, Russ, are either of the candidates using advertising effectively? Well, I think that you have to look at the way the candidates are using advertising, period. I mean, you have – it's really not a not an even match. You have one campaign, the, the Clinton campaign, which has run uh, multiple ads targeted to various voter groups and have spent millions and millions of dollars in multiple states, swing states, in order to, you know, get their message out. And you have the, the Trump campaign, which has been very – almost stingy in their advertising. I mean, they, you know, they've, you know, it's, it's Labor Day and uh, they're only on their second ad, uh, which is very, very unusual for, for a presidential campaign. I mean, by this time, most campaigns on both sides had run multiple ads and multiple sequences of messaging. So therefore, I think that you have to kind of grade it on the curve and that, the, you know, the Clinton campaign has done a pretty good job at getting their message out and targeting it to what seems to me is white suburban women who they know that they have to win in in large numbers in order to win. And it's at the same time, I think, to soft Republicans to try to keep them from, from moving over to Donald Trump. Trump, on the other hand, seems to have decided to double down for the most part on his base arguments. And then the first ad that he did, which was dealt with, you know, the Syrian refugees and immigration and how Trump was going to keep them out and keep us safe was very much a base play. And it seems like the second ad, which is the first time that he's talking about the economy, is an ad that, you know, I think is is starting to at least reach out beyond his immediate base and into some swing voters. Are those good ads, the Trump ads? They're generally very formulaic. I think they're very basic. They're sort of you know, in, in, a, in a football analogy, there's sort of, you know, f- five yards in a cloud of dust. <laughs> Again, I think that the first one where they're talking about more on the immigration issues um, was to remind people of what Trump was for, uh, what made him popular to begin with, at least among that Republican base. And I think the second ad, when they start talking more about the economy, is starting to broaden his message. And and to me, 
that is a better direction for them to go in because they need to start increasing the size of, of their coalition. Russ, I want to conclude by asking you as an ad maker, what should the best ad look like in this campaign? If you're making it, what is the ad? What does it look like? Well, I, I, don't, I, I can't tell you, Michael, what, what the ad would look like. I, I could just tell you that what would make you feel and 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 you know I think the ad either has to make you feel hopeful that by voting for this person that you know we're going to have a, a hope, more hopeful future, or in some way the ad has to make you uh, afraid that you want to vote against someone because you fear what will happen. So I mean it, it, you know hope and fear are still the big drivers when it comes to advertising. So there's no middle place between those two extremes? Because I would say the windsurfing ad is actually, it makes its point through humor more than it does through fear or hope. I mean, you're totally mocking the candidate. Sure, sure. But but if you, yes, but what you're doing is you're, you know, you're characterizing a candidate in a way that makes you look at him and say, maybe I don't trust him to to, to serve for the mm-hmm. next four years as president. Mm-hmm. You're either driving voters either in one direction or the other, and there's obviously there's degrees of that. But at and at the extremes, it's it's still you know you're either driving them towards hope or you're driving them to some sort of their fears. Okay, so I have a crazy proposition for you because I happen to really like that that Eisenhower ad. And I really happen to like that Kennedy ad where it's just Kennedy's name all over the place. I don't understand why Donald Trump just doesn't get a jingle made. Yeah. You know, jingles are sort of seen as a a device uh, for increasing name ID. Uh They haven't been used uh, really to any great success over the last, you know, 20, 30 years. You know, I, I just think that Trump's problems are beyond a jingle at this point. <laughs> um, what Trump, the Trump campaign needs to do in order to, you know, to win, in order to be competitive in this, is to really make a much bigger argument and probably one that, that, that a jingle isn't going to, uh, isn't going to get them there. On that note, Russ, no, get it? Um, <laughs> thank you. I didn't. I'm glad you did. Thank you, that. Russ. Thank you, Wesley. We will leave you now with the great jingle of Lake. Will they guide to Washington? Will they guide to Washington? Now is the time for all good Americans to come to the aid of their country. That's it for The Run-Up. I'm Michael Barbaro. We'll see you back here on Friday. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and producing natural gas with fewer emissions in the Permian Basin. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.